that's that's the number one response from people when I ask them about these tactics. They say, you know, to use them, I feel icky. It doesn't feel right. And I say, there's a deep psychological reason why it feels icky. You are listening to Amplifier Success Podcast, episode 288. And today, let's discover a unique way to retain customers and get more traction with your webinars using surveys. You ready for this? Let's get started. Welcome to the Amplify Your Success Podcast. Get ready to ramp up your revenue, amplify your impact, and make your mark in the world. This is the show for experts, thought leaders, and service professionals who want to shatter their limits and achieve that next level. You're going to find out from other experts and influencers how they made it. Now, let's get amplified. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. It's your host, Melanie Benson. And today I'm going to bring you a special guest who, when I, when I heard him, I was instantly riveted. I knew that I had to dig into this and learn more about how he's using surveys. It's so good. And There's going to be several ah ahas you'll have in this episode, so I invite you to get a pen and paper handy right now. And this episode brings to mind the power of always looking for that slight edge to expand the reach of your work and to be intentional about helping the audience you serve engage and actively consume the knowledge you have to share with them. Look, we cannot solve their problems. We cannot help them achieve these goals that you are put on this planet to to, uh, help people achieve and learn from you if we are not helping people overcome their natural um, environments that keep them stuck in a path that is not serving them. So Tools like this that we're going to talk about today are a great way to do that. But I also want to throw out an invitation to you that if you are feeling like you're burned out, your work is not lighting your fire anymore, you're feeling disconnected from the opportunities that are in front of you, like nothing's just kicking in for you as as exciting, chances are you have... Um, been holding yourself small and you're most likely operating in uh, what many of my clients uh, call it just like this treadmill of minutiae, right? Like you're just on this treadmill doing the things you're supposed to do next. And what often happens is you lose the connection to your fire. I know I've certainly danced with this over the last 22 years. Uh, I've had several clients like bump up against this, like, I'm just done. Like, I can't do this anymore. And the opportunity is to tap back into your greater why and get reconnected to your magic. I call this going into an expansion. It's like sometimes we need to expand our capacity. We need to expand the reach of our work. We need to like be in an expansive state. And I have opened up three VIP expansion days to help entrepreneurs who have a business but aren't sure that they're doing what they're put on this planet to do and they're feeling kind of burned out and wondering like what it's going to take to get to that next level. If that's speaking to you, I would love to hear from you 
and let's book a fast track call and see what it would look like for you to move into this expansive, amplified energy that makes you irresistible and compelling and just makes everything fired up and back in your joy. So you can reach out on any of the platforms, you can email us, or you can head right over to amplifyaudit.com and fill out the request to meet with me. Okay, let's drop into the episode. Amplifiers, I have a very exciting conversation to share with you today. We're going to be talking about using science to up the engagement on your webinars, enroll more people in your live events, and keep your customers engaged forever. Let me introduce you to a new friend of mine, Dr. Matthew Champagne. He's often known as Doc. He has been a researcher, a scientist, and a serial entrepreneur. He was named Technology Visionary by Survey Magazine for his pioneering pioneering work merging psychology and technology to create unique customer feedback solutions. When not ranting about poorly designed surveys, uh uh-oh, I hope you didn't look at any of mine, (laughs) Matt can be found scuba diving, cruising with his family, or playing keyboards in his rock band. Rock band? What? I'm learning something new about you. What is the name of your rock band? Hey, Melanie. Well, actually, the band broke up. It was called Shades of Grey. So I just sit in on a lot of other people's uh, bands when I can at at bars and stuff. Uh, How fun. I always love when people have that music uh, hobby, (laughs) which becomes a job for so many people, but uh, I love it. Well, you know, just a little backstory for our listening audience today. I heard you give a talk and I was, I was enraptured. I was really intrigued. I was very moved by what you shared about um, how to like make our webinars perform better, how to really connect with people in a new way in the webinar. And what many of us talk about is Webinars aren't working the way they used to. Webinars are not really interesting to people. People are not sticking around for it. And you had some really uh, cutting edge and I think unique solutions. And so that's what we want to highlight today. But you have a lot of things you do really well. And so we could probably talk for two hours and not cover half of what you do, right? That's true. But it's all, uh, you know, it's all back to the basics. You know, that as, as we'll talk about today, a lot of this just goes back to years of research. It's all based in the science. So when the when the tactics and things kind of fall apart and people get too tech savvy and and are ignoring your message, then we turn back to the psychology that we know works. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like what we're talking about today and what you're really good at is merging science, technology and psychology so that um, you stand out. And so while we're talking about standing out, you know, I think. If I asked every single uh, fan of Amplifier Success, all of the people I work with, they would say their number one challenge and opportunity is to get heard above the noise. So let's talk about what you're up to with this science meets psychology meets technology and how this is helping people stand out in what's often a very crowded market. Sure. Uh, I mean, for an example, uh, when I stepped into this digital marketing world about eight years ago, uh, all the talk 
and it still is today about the tactics to get people to buy your stuff, such as, you know, uh, you want, first you want to hit them with some reciprocity and then you show them the social proof and then you establish your authority and then you give them scarcity. And I went along with that as well because I'm like, oh, this is how you do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we find those tactics are less effective uh, over time, but they ignore what people truly want. When you, in, in terms of a human perspective, what people really want to know is that their voice was heard. They want to know they made a difference. They want to know how they compare to others. And so if you think about tactics and strategies, we want to focus on those things. How do you, you know, explain to your audience that you hear them, that their voice was heard, how they compare to others. And I found the best way of doing this is through survey, which is kind of strange because everyone hates surveys and we're surveyed every day of our lives. But that's for those that are doing it poorly, as, as you know. But uh, we should talk today about how to do it well uh, so as to bring on these great what's in it for me's from your, from your own audience. Mm. So I love this. And I actually don't mind taking surveys when they're designed well, right? When they when they're not like 30 questions that take me an hour to fill out. And I always always loved, I'm sure you've seen these as well, the well-meaning people who send you a dollar in an envelope. <laughs> and you're like, can you take the survey? I'll send you a dollar for your time. I'm like, dude, my time is so not worth a dollar. <laughs> yeah, I need about a hundred more of these. But I think what what the opportunity here is, and you you got me really curious with this. How do we give our community a voice and what's the payoff for us? So as we, as we start to look at new ways to connect with our audience, like what do we learn? What, what makes it, what makes things better for us when we take the time to include surveys in our different steps of marketing and selling? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think of it, I call it the survey conversation. So that's the first mindset I teach is think of it as a conversation and think of your audience as you're on a first date. You know, what sorts of questions do you ask on a first date? You certainly don't ask your date 30 questions in a row like they do on your, your survey and they don't turn it into a transaction like handing you a dollar uh, to fill this out. We wanna make it more relationship based. Like why would you answer my questions? Well, because I'm gonna share with you the results of other like-minded professionals just like you answer these same questions. That would be worthwhile. So that's how we start off every conversation is telling people, look, I have nothing to give you that's worth your time on earth, right? But if you will answer this one question, I'll share with you what others have said so you can see how you compare. And then I'll take action. I'm going to show you how I took action on that. And people are blown away. They're like, wow, somebody asked me a question and they actually heard it. And they responded. So you can see how you could apply this to your live events before your event and during your events and before your courses is continuing this conversation. I'll ask a question and you'll respond and then I'll close the loop. I'll share the results and then I'll ask another question and back and forth. It goes to me. That's the proper way of using survey. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of opportunity there for most of us, I, I believe. <laughs> so you mentioned webinars, you mentioned events, uh, or sorry, you mentioned events and you mentioned courses, but I also know you do this for people when they're going to host a webinar or maybe even, you know, virtual events that become very powerful. What are the different opportunities in front of us to connect more with our community or with our audience uh, through the survey process? Well, for webinars in particular, 
I tell folks, well, you know, the time to ask is before your event. So that's one of the key principles. I teach these nine principles of customer feedback. So one of the principles is ask is is the timing, the timing and frequency of when to ask. So the time to ask your audience is before the webinar, before the event. So someone who registers for your webinar, and of course, you'll right then ask them a couple of key questions, asking the right questions in the right way. But then you'll do something very different. Before that camera turns on, you actually share the results with them and say, oh, great that you responded. 45% of people said the same thing. Here are the top five things that people said they wanted to learn from this webinar, just thought you'd like to know. And what we found oh, time and time again, now we've collected data for about five years on this. They average about 41% more attendance on their webinar. Why? Because they're getting enthusiastic about it. You're, they're learning who else is coming to the party. And you're telling them ahead of time, I'm going to be solving these problems. And then when that camera turns on and your audience is there, there's no housekeeping. There's no, hey, everybody tell me where you're from. No, you jump right in and say, I heard what you said. I was going to talk about all this stuff that's important, but I heard from you that this was important to you. So let me just knock off these five questions right now. And people are like, wow, you made this so worthwhile. I came here for this answer and you gave it to me. That's how you stand out. You're doing something that few people ever do, which is listen to the audience beforehand and then respond to them uh, right up front during your event. There's so many reasons why this is brilliant. First of all, um, yes, people get to hear their question being answered, but you're also like, I think as, as an expert who's delivering content or training or something that you're hoping might inspire people to want to work with you further, like you're, you're making sure that you're actually talking about what's really on people's minds, which brings the relevance up. Yes. It, it, but you don't forget your own stuff. You know, you can tell right. people, well, this is important. We are going to get to this, but let me get to this first. And this, the data is just, it is quite unbelievable when you see it. We did this at live events and actually had a situation where we would share this with the speakers. So it'd be a live event a certain number of speakers, and we would share the results before the event and tell them, hey, you'll want to modify your talk somewhat to reflect why that audience is traveling all this way to get here. And luckily for us, some people ignored my advice. They just gave the talk they were going to give, which made for a great study. I'm a researcher, so I love the study. And we found that those people who took what people had to say before the event, and they incorporated it somewhat. Like there was one fellow who was a master of copy that he was, he came there to talk about copy. And I said, well, guess what? That was like number 10 on their list. <laughs> you know, they're actually interested more in mindset. So he put that in there right from the beginning. He said, you know, I know you want to know about this. Then when we asked the audience afterwards, was this speaker good for your business? Did this speaker help you? 100% of those speakers who took the feedback and incorporated were told, this speaker helped me. I want to be part of this person's list. Those who didn't use the method, about 78% of the audience said mm. that the speaker helped. So they gave a great talk. It was entertaining, but it didn't resonate with them. It wasn't what they, it wasn't what the other 22% came from. So that's the lesson we learned from this is you got to listen to your audience beforehand. Don't forget your message, but make sure that you respond to them as well. You know, I had such an interesting experience around this many, many years ago, 12 years ago, uh, 
And, and it's just, I wish they had incorporated the strategy you're talking about. I was invited to speak at, at a series of, of events in Australia. So obviously there's a bit of a dime invested in getting there. And they invited me to speak on a subject that um, they thought their audience wanted me to speak about. But when I got there, the audience was not responding well to my talk. So I had to kind of shifted on the fly. And what I what we realized later after they started auditing who they were responding to and who they weren't, they all just wanted to make money. They didn't want what back then my topic was on how to how to leverage your time and energy by building the right team. And and I realized what you're talking about right now is like if more live event and virtual event people would ask their audience, you could get so much better content, such a better re response from the uh, interaction between speaker and what they're talking about, because they're talking about what the audience really wants to hear about what's on their mind and what's going to get them into action. Yeah, it, it's great for the speakers. It makes them look better and, you know, higher satisfaction. It's great for the audience who gets out of it what they wanted. It's great for the event uh, organizer who is seen as, you know, having brought on good speakers. I'm just surprised it's just not used all the time. We, we first did this in 1996 at what? a conference in Wisconsin. Uh, so long ago, of course, there's no you know devices, so long ago that we had to gather the data through laptops. And we had to explain to people, this is a laptop. And mm. you press this button on this radio button. So, But we were asking people about what they wanted and, and getting some pre-information. So the technique is old, um, just has not caught on in all industries. And so that's what I've been trying to do in the last few years is to kind of bring this message to others who might not have heard of it. Well, that's why we're getting you here tonight to amplify the reach of this amazing technique. And uh, I, I want to just talk a little bit more about webinars, events, we keep referring to it. And uh, I'm just going to call something out that you and I both know, and that is, I think people, their buying behavior is changing. And um, most of our communities have become uh, annoyed by, turned off by, uh, disenchanted by what we might say are predictable, hard sale tactics, manipulative tactics, I've heard it referred to. Um, let's talk about uh, how, like, those who do buy from these high pressure tactics, like, what, what is the cost of using these strategies right now? And where do you see some opportunity emerging? Oh, wow. Such a big topic, but an important topic because, mm -hmm. you know, it's the, the strategies, the tactics, you know, that we all know as digital marketers, you know, such as the influence tactics. Everyone knows that book, hopefully, Robert Cialdini, uh, yep. but it's taught everywhere. You know, you need to establish your authority and you need to tell your story and and uh, demonstrate liking. That's why you tell this, the story and, and prove that there's scarcity and and social proof in, in the in the all. But Cialdini himself, in a very nice way, has said, we're doing it wrong. Like, that's not how he how he taught the lesson. So, for example, uh, he calls these tactics weapons, the weapons of influence. You know, you only need one weapon. But to sit there and stack them on as we're taught, okay, first you do the social proof and then you establish your authority and then you the scarcity and the urgency and the liking. No, the original author said, one, use one of these influence tactics, draw it out to your audience. If you're the authority, then 
focus on that. Establish with your audience that you are the authority. You've done this for so many years. We've seen people just like you in the same situation. And here's how I help them. You know, I can help you. If you don't have that authority, then you use a different influence. You might use social proof. Uh, but that's what happens, that, that notion that this feels icky. That's, that's the number one response from people when I ask them about these tactics. They say, you know, to use them, I feel icky. It doesn't feel right. And I say, there's a deep psychological reason why it feels icky. So it feels icky to them to, to do this because it feels high salesy. And then when we ask people from the audience, which I've done for I don't know how many times, the results are always the same. If you ask people, do you like to be sold in this way? Like this person is using social proof and authority. Do you like to be sold in this way? 50% or more say, no, I don't like to be sold by this in this way. I don't, uh, I, I think less of this person. This makes me, you know, uh, not want to buy. And I'm like, well, this is strange. The tactics that are meant to get people to buy actually make people not want to buy. So, but that's the reason is we're using these uh, tactics incorrectly. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense because I teach people how to craft and establish their authority. But uh, as you said, like we're not stacking a thousand different, um, you know, tactics on top of each other. You know, you, you lean into one and then, you know, like I'm all about relevance. And I think what you're talking about here is how do you create, how do you connect with people in a relevant way? Because they feel, A, you care enough to ask, and then B, you're actually telling them about what they need to know. And that's where it feels to me like the rapport is established and the connection is built. And that makes them more interested in what you might have uh, other than that to, to help them solve their problems. Yeah. So now you're looking, you, you appear different. You're standing out. And what you're describing is, is standing out. Um, and Cialdini has said something similar in that he says, you want to be a detective of influence, of the influence tactics. A detective mm -hmm. meaning you have determined, you know, what your audience wants to hear. If you're the authority, or if you have a lot of customers, you might want to draw out social proof. If the offer is really scarce, then of course you would you'd focus on that principle. He said, don't be a smuggler of influence. That's not a very nice word. That's what he calls folks who stack all these and try to throw on every, you know, we all know about fake urgency and fake scarcity and that that's not right. Uh, but others, you know, just, they don't know. And I was that same person. I, you know, I want to be critical, like, and I, I really get down on myself because I'm a psychologist. I, I taught psychology at the university for years. I've done the research. Yet I threw it all away and said, oh, here's how you sell, <laughs> sell people. Uh, and, it, and I'm sure it worked back in the day, like everything worked in early internet days, but not today. People are so tech savvy. They're so savvy overall about sales, messaging, and things that, that we do need to do something different. Mm. I'm loving this. So let's get I into the it. alternative. <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about, you know, some of that old paradigm strategy that that is off-putting to most people on both sides of the fence, I'm sure. But, you know, people aren't using surveys yet or the way they're using them isn't quite cutting it either. They're not getting what they, they need and want, or they're not hearing what they hoped for. It's not getting the, the connection built. Why do you think 99% uh, of surveys and quizzes and assessments are bringing the wrong information to the both sides of the party, probably? 
Well, yeah, it's something I've struggled with since, gosh, since the 1990s. I've been doing this a long time. I've reviewed and critiqued about 9 million, uh, uh, 9 million, about 9,000. feels like 9 million, but yeah. <laughs> uh, 9,000 surveys over the years. Well, like why? But they all have the same problem. So I actually wrote a book in 2014 that put in the 25 lessons that I had heard over and over again. If you just apply and do these, you'll have a better survey. But I think the simple answer is it's a skill like any other skill, but that's just not known. Kind of like the old saying, uh, anybody can teach. And we all know that's wrong, right? Because not everybody can teach well. And it's the same for anything. Can you do Facebook ads? Sure. Can you do them well? Not too many people can. Everything's a skill and surveys are exactly the same. There's a lot of mathematics that go on with surveys, uh, the psychometrics, how to structure the response scale so it matches the question, how to, you know, those anchors that are on the scale. There's a lot of details in there, but few people understand that because they've got SurveyMonkey and they've got Zoomerang, they got Question Pro, and there's some 85 or 90 free tools out there that help you just create a survey. So we put questions into it, but there's so much missing. And I think that's where it falls apart is just uh, just not knowing that there's a particular skill and there's a cadence to this. And there's a lot that goes behind it because the survey is meant to be like X-ray vision of your audience's head, your patients, your clients, your customers, your members, but it only works if it's done in a, in a certain way, uh, just not a skill that's taught. Mm, yeah. Well, let's talk about what they are leaving out. So yeah, I've heard you talk about this and I found this fast fascinating. What is it that every survey is leaving out that if they were integrating it, it could like bring their response rate back up? Oh gosh. There is a huge topic. Uh, I guess, I mean, there's some structural things. There's some some quick tips. So this notion of survey conversation is one of those. Okay. So if you just think of, you know, it's not a one-time ask, which is what everybody else does, right? You know, we're never going to get a chance to ever talk to our customers. So let's ask all 30 questions today. It's a conversation. So if you have that kind of mindset, think of that person as a first date, you know, you would, you wouldn't ask, uh, Hey, do you have decision-making authority and uh, how much money do you make? No, no, you wouldn't ask that on a first date. You'd probably start off with something a little, uh, you know, kind of gradually work your way up. So those are good mindsets to have. And then a third one is read through your survey. You know, would you want to fill this out? And that is such a funny exercise. I, I work with, you know, companies we all know, FedEx and General Motors and Verizon and such, and have those people who have spent all these tens of thousands of dollars on their survey say, hey, can you fill out your own survey? And they're like, wow, this is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So you want to know it's, it's got to be worth their time. So it has, the questions have to be relevant. Uh, there should be questions that you shouldn't ask questions that you already know the answer. That's so frustrating for us. So my job as the survey guy is to get people to, you know, to maximize their response rate, get as many people to fill it out as possible. But what do we all think when we get a survey you just bought a, a car. And then the first survey question is, dear valued customer, first question, what's your name? You're like, oh, great. What's your email address? Oh, you mean the one you just sent the survey to? <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> click. Uh, but that happens all the time. We spend money at restaurants, at hotels, and in the services from our favorite, uh, you know, digital marketing guru. And 
they ask questions that we think you should know me. I'm your customer. I'm your best customer. Yet the survey you asked me shows me you don't know who I am. So there's so many things that, that could be done, just not even knowing the technical stuff, just from that perspective, that can get more people to respond to you. And, and you just look like, you know, the kind of person you want to look like to your audience. I want to come back to this idea of wrapping a survey around a webinar or masterclass to improve the connection, to, you know, increase the potential for buyers, all the good stuff, right? So let's say, all right, Matt, I'm going to try this out. Do you have, I know there's probably several questions, but do you have one favorite question that every person who's hosting a webinar should ask or some version of it that would easily improve results? Sure. I'll give you my favorite and then I'll tell you one never to use. Oh, I love it. Okay. Bonus. Okay. So uh, my favorite is something along the the effect of, what would make attending this event totally worth your time? Because, because to me, that, that's it. Why would I, you know, why would I fly to this event and stay in uncomfortable hotel beds? Or why would I spend three days virtually with you? Like, what would make it worth my time? And it's just, I mean, the responses, of course, are totally unrelated to the topic that you were going to give, which is great. That's what you want to hear. So they'll pull things from the title. So it is kind of relevant. But then others are kind of off the wall. And what we do, what I tell my clients as well, is you address what you can, but then you even tell them stuff you couldn't answer. So I have people on stage that will say, you know what? We, we answered all your questions, but some of you asked about supply chain management. I don't know anything about that. Is there anybody here that knows? Oh, you, you? Okay, who asked that question? Oh, you? Okay, why don't you two get together at lunch and talk about that? And they're able to connect, even though they don't know the answer, they can find people in the audience that know the answer and then steer others to them. And people are like, oh my gosh, I this person is the best. And that's what you want because you knew ahead of time there are things you couldn't address. And you can do this on your webinar too. I'll start off with an opening slide that says, here are the four things you asked that I have no idea. But I know Melanie Benson, and she is a pro at this. Here's her. Here's where to find her. And David Newman's a pro at this. And then people are like, wow. And they might even click out. They're like, oh, that's what I needed to know. And they leave. But you would think that, but they don't. They stay and stay engaged. Hmm. That's so. uh, one of my favorite pillars, if you will, of amplifying businesses collaboration what a powerful way to amplify the collaborations that you have <laughs> introducing your collaboration partners to people who want answers to questions that, that are asking. So little side note, but you said there's going to be one thing to never ask. Oh, What's that? <laughs> well, I mean, I come across these questions all the time that, you know, just they have legs and I don't know why. Uh, so one question never to ask at your webinar is what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now? Hmm. So that's bad for several reasons. You know, one is you haven't clearly defined, you know, what's the biggest challenge? Well, what if somebody writes, oh yeah, I haven't been able to solve the Rubik's cube in under three minutes. And you're like, oh no, 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 I didn't mean that. So what's the biggest challenge facing what? Your finances, your relationships, your your health? So uh, it's a difficult question because you'll get a smattering of answers, some that are are irrelevant. And also is a difficult question. You never want to put the words like most or least 
or restrictive. You say, what's the, what's the biggest challenge? Well, now people have to stop and think and go, okay, well, let's see, there's this and that. Now, I don't know what the biggest, it was this one bigger than that. Okay. Now you've lost them. Hmm. When you ask a question, it should be like a first date. Your first date shouldn't have to like struggle through and think of, well, what did they mean by this? You know, then your date leaves. So the best way to, uh, to address this is say, what is a big challenge facing your, uh, you know, your revenue at this point or what, so you, you clearly defined it and then people go, oh yeah, uh, I need to hire a developer. Boom. And now, now, you know, so ask, don't ever ask that question. What's the biggest challenge you face? It has to be further defined and give them some allowance instead of using the most or least or the one thing is let them, uh, you know, give a, a free form answer. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, so really the, the bottom line is ask better questions. You're going to get better answers exactly. <laughs> and, and, and a better experience for everyone. Yes. <laughs> That's well said. Um, man, I could talk to you forever and I, I have a million other questions, but uh, I promise my listeners, we keep this short and sweet. So tell me like, what would be the best place for someone to go deeper with you to maybe get some of their questions answered, to be able to like really integrate these practices of surveying properly uh, for the different ways they're going to bring an audience together. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we put together just a, a gift for, for your audience. Um, and I put that at matthewchampagne.com. That's my website, matthewchampagne.com slash amplify. And if you go there, you'll see the nine principles of customer feedback. And go there and download. I don't even think there's an opt-in. I think you just take it. Uh, but compare that with what you're currently doing. It. You'll see the nine principles, such as have a single purpose for your survey, uh, closing the loop, as we've been describing. And just look at that and say, is the way you're asking your audience, how many of these principles are you satisfying? And to the extent that you aren't, that probably tells you what the outcome of of your survey is. So uh, that's a good resource. Uh, to use, but I'm at matthewchampagne.com or find me at LinkedIn and uh, let me know what you're up to and I'll, I'll see how I can answer it for you. Yeah. Great. Great resources. So matthewchampagne.com forward slash amplify to download, which I highly recommend hop over right now. Um, if you're driving, you don't need to pull over, but make a note to go back and get the download of nine principles of customer feedback. I, I have to tell you, we've used these practices on and off uh, we have a masterclass we're running right now, which Matt, I really appreciate you bringing this because I'd forgotten some of this. And so we're going to bring it back and I'm going to let you know how it works because these, this idea of being able to deepen the connection and I want to know what's on people's minds. I want to make sure I'm answering the questions that are most front of mind for them. So uh, I, I'm so appreciative that you joined me today to share this. Now, this is the time in my conversation where I like to Kind of go back to some of the important moments in your trajectory. You mentioned that you've been doing this for a while. So my guess is you probably had some pivots, uh, some challenges to overcome, maybe something really bold that you decided to do to grow the reach of your business. What would you say? Here's what I want to ask you. What was the, what was the, biggest pivot you ever had to make as you have grown and, and adapted over the years? 
Yes, well, I guess it might be cheating a little bit, but it was uh, this uh, early in my career. I was a professor of psychology at a university in New York, and uh, I ran a laboratory uh, on this new thing called e-learning, uh, <laughs> which was distance learning. There was this new thing called the World Wide Web, and we were you know evaluating the early courses that were being done on this. Uh, but we discovered uh, what we're talking about, about survey and how to improve things. And uh, my own university didn't fund it or would not fund it. They said, you know, this internet's not safe. You know, uh, <laughs> faculty at colleges will never want to, you know, you put their information online and such. So I left, I left higher ed. I took my three smartest grad students and we started a company uh, that was the, actually turned out to be the first uh, web-based course evaluation tool out there. But it was difficult to do because at the time that was so strange. And now today, of course, everyone's disengaging and, and dropping out. But back in the 90s, I, I got put in the local newspaper. I think the headline was something like, you know, insane professor leaves tenure track job for, you know, startup company. <laughs> it was it was uh, it was kind of looked down on. It's like, well, what are you doing throwing away your career to to do this? And I was like, well, I asked my wife and she said she'd support me and, and away we go. So that was, uh, that, was, that was a bold move. I haven't done anything quite that bold since then. It's just like, you know, free fall uh, out there. But there wasn't much support because even the word entrepreneur, I never even heard that word. I don't think that was used back then. It was just kind of a weird thing to do. Uh, but, but we did and I'm glad we did it because it really set me on this trajectory uh, where I'm at today. What an interesting story. I mean, I remember the first time I ever heard about the web and uh, I was working in, in a Fortune 500 company and one of, a, one of our VPs was like telling me the special project he was on of how to, how to bring what we did to the internet. And I'm like, they what? <laughs> you know, it's like, it was for all of you younger generation who have lived with the internet your entire life. There was a time it didn't exist and we were all wowed as it emerged. And I think many of us didn't quite know what to make of it until all of a sudden it took off. So it's a great story. Appreciate you sharing it. Okay. Last question. What is one thing you wish you would have done sooner once you became an entrepreneur that you now know really positively impacted the growth of your business? Well, I think it's, um, I mentioned earlier about um, not following what I knew. You know, I was following what the, the guru said, this is how you get people to sell. And it turned out it was psychology that I already knew. Like I set aside all my years of education and training and research and what I already knew about the field to say, well, somebody else must know something I don't. And I look back, the moments of regret in my business they're all the same. They're all those times I left this decision up to somebody else. I said, mm -hmm. oh, you know, this is a huge, huge decision. I better go to somebody else and have them make it for me. And each time was a disaster. And I was like, I could have made that disastrous choice myself. Uh, and it would have been okay because I made it. Um, so, you know, the, 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 it's kind of a, a theme. Hopefully I won't do this again, but that's what I tell people. It's like, make make the choice yourself. Uh, even if it's the wrong choice, it's still your, your choice. And uh, those are the moments of, of regret I had um, over the years. Mm -hmm. 
delegating your decision making to someone else when you could have made the same <laughs> disastrous or better decision yourself. That's, that is very powerful. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. I, I I love this conversation. And Matt, you're brilliant at what you're doing. And I can't wait to see how people incorporate this idea of getting a, a conversation going with their customers to improve the results of their webinars, their events, but also to just increase that lifetime connection with the customers who really need and want us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, head over to matthewchampagne.com forward slash amplify. If you'd like to get access to his nine principles of customer feedback. So right. thank Thanks you so much, Matt. Ah, You're welcome. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in today, Amplifier. Be sure to join us right now in the Amplify Your Authority community at authorityamplifiers.com, and I'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market. Plus, we're going to keep this conversation going, and I want to hear from you how you're going to amplify your authority and make a greater impact. Before you go, please take a minute to give our show and our guests some love over on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your full name, and I'll spotlight you and your authority on social media. <laughs>